Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Hook'em Up with E and Rod B Playoff Recap Show on The Horn is presented by Hayes City Store and The Taste on Main. Roll on on this uh, day after postmortem recap. The uh, Texas 37-31 loss to Washington in the college football playoff semifinal. And uh, heck of a game. Frustrating, I think, is the adjective we've used a lot this morning, Rod and uh, and Patrick. And I would also say that if you were listening to our pregame show yesterday or Rod and myself here in the, in the lead-up to what we saw last night, uh, I don't think a lot was surprising. Uh, we, we both thought that this game could go to the, to the last play, to the last drive. It certainly did. Uh, we both agreed, Rod, too, that uh, Texas needed probably above 38 points or 35 points if they were going to win this football game. Anything you know, 31 or lower probably wouldn't be enough. We also agreed Michael Penix was going to make some throws, make some throws that uh, you know into tight windows and drop dimes on people on deep balls, which he did. He can be frustrated with the Longhorn secondary and lack of pass rush, but you also have to turn and tip your cap to Michael Penix, who avoided pressure when Texas was able to get there. Uh, made throws, um, big-time throws, uh, NFL Sunday throws down the field, uh, as accurate as you can find. Uh, and, and the Longhorns made a ton of mistakes. And despite all that, the game did go to its final play. And the, to add the final piece of frustration to the Longhorns, if it were a better throw by Quinn Ewers, we might be talking about a Longhorn 38-37 victory today. Instead, it was an incomplete pass, and the Longhorn season has come to an end. But uh, a lot to break down, safe to say, the good, the bad, and the ugly from uh, the second loss of the year and the end of the season for Texas. Yeah, I mean, you could argue uh, there could be a, a number of different variables that if they had, you know, had a different uh, materialized in a different way that Texas would have had a chance to not only you know win the game, um, but I think have a better showing overall. We know they had obviously the, the potential game-winning drive on the last possession, um, but it felt like most of the game Texas was playing catch-up. Felt like most of the game uh, they were drinking through a fire hose to a certain extent, and it felt like Washington was in control of the game. The time of possession numbers also show Washington being in control of this game, and although they didn't do it like they did last season by converting at a really high rate, last season they converted what 56% of their money downs, third and fourth down. This year they did it really with the deep ball and being able to convert the deep ball, and they kept Texas consistently um, off base, uh, off schedule, and kept them on their heels with those chunk yardage plays downfield. They completed what fifty-seven percent of their passes, twenty yards or more down the field. Their deep shots against Texas—that is a big number. It's a team 
that was completing 44% of them going into the game. Uh, Texas against starting quarterbacks. Remember, I took out these sample size of backup quarterbacks because they did you no good. All they were doing was giving you guys false hope. So I tried to eliminate that. <laughs> and then I came up with the number that Texas was allowing 42% of their deep balls to be completed uh, uh, to starting quarterbacks. And remember, I gave the number that six quarterbacks on the schedule had completed at least 40% of their deep balls against Texas. Seven quarterbacks completed at least 50% of their deep balls against Texas. Texas, and then I started to think, man, this could be a real problem. Um, so we started to bring up those numbers more and more just to get Longhorn fans, uh, just to get them at least uh, uh, comfortable with the idea that they could get torched in this game. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. They got torched with that deep ball early and often. And I just think ultimately, you know, that set the tone. It really did kind of set the tone for everything that Washington was able to do after that. Yeah, I mean, I think it was for me. It was a tale of two halves for Texas in that first half. As you said, I don't disagree with you at all that they were playing, you know, uphill all game. It just they never led the game. Uh, they never had a lead. They they were always trailing. When after it was seven to nothing, they tied it at seven. They tied it at fourteen. They tied it at twenty-one, right before the half. And so that's why I know our halftime conversation, Rod, during the in-game watch was okay. Can they make some adjustments here and come out and just control the rock, run the football? Uh, you know, win the line of scrimmage, and as you said, as, as a halftime adjustment, you know, just give away, take away the deep ball. If, if Michael Penix wants to hand the ball off in the second half and run the football, that's a win for Texas. It's, at least he's mm-hmm. not throwing it and shredding your defense. Um, and obviously, I think we just heard Sark say it when we played the uh, post-game press conference last hour. Um, that was the game plan. Well, you know, C.J. Baxter fumbles the, the you know, A, your defense gets – gets lit up on the first drive of the third quarter. They go down and score. So, again, you're trailing. Now it's 28-21. You get the ball, and obviously your, your young running back fumbles the ball on the first carry. They get a field goal, so now you're down 10. Um, you know, Penix made it uh, then a 13-point lead, and then another run, running back fumble. So it was just, you know, that, that, that third quarter, that window from the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the first part of the third quarter to the early fourth quarter really became the difference in, in the football game. And yet, and that really made it an uphill battle. But, man, if you went to bed or you said, you know what, I'm turning this off like a lot of people did when it was a 13-point game, you didn't see the Longhorns almost pull this thing off. Uh, they dang near won the game, and that's again, leads to the frustration. I think Patrick said it just a little bit ago. Would you rather have just you know, lost the game or get this excruciatingly close to, to tying the game with a touchdown and maybe kicking an extra point to win it 38-37? Uh, I think that's a, a fair question for Longhorns fans because in the end it just added to the, to the frustration and the, uh, the maddening night it was for the Longhorns that when, you know, when they would get pressure on Michael Penix, he would avoid it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, they needed to, you know, when, when they didn't need the fumble, they fumbled. Uh, the, the offsides, the penalties, the, just the little you know, self-inflicted cuts that, that added up to a team that just wasn't as disciplined as their opponent. Uh, didn't, you know, the, and again, Rod, we just have to tip your cap to Michael Penix because yeah. that guy – that guy is really good. Um, the throws he made, big time. That guy's an NFL quarterback. Uh, there's no doubt. And there were some throws where, I mean, honestly, I thought Texas had a shot at making plays on the ball. Remember that touchdown they had? I believe it's the – it's like a, maybe the 19-yard touchdown or 20-yard. They were close to their red zone. Um, they were formation and boundary trips. That's like trips to the short side of the field and um, ends up being a, a deep – uh, a skinny post or a post route 
they scored on. Jade Barron is on the wide side, the deep field safety, and he's actually the he's the, he's that he's the help. He's that center field help. He's going to be a late help uh, defender there on any deep inside breaking routes like a post route. And honestly, Jade Barron is almost there. The window is so small. Yeah. It, and uh, you guys remember, it is so small, and yep. Penix doesn't hesitate. He just throws it right in there. He knows Jaday Barron is coming around there late, and he just trusts his gun, his cannon of an arm, and he fits it in the smallest window. He did that like four or five times, yeah. guys. It, it felt like the game plan defensively for the, the backs, knowing that you couldn't you couldn't just match up with them. You were going to have to basically pick your poison yep. was, all right, well, let's watch their eyes a lot. Let's not watch the ball. Let's go play play their eyes and just put a hand up, and he's got to hit that window perfect or else we'll be able to get in there and break it up. Seemed and he way. kept doing it. He did it every and, time. And there was so many of those plays where you'd watch like Ryan Watts on the boundary and his hands in the defender's hands, right there. but it hits him in the right hand and not the left. And you, you go, Man, if you hit those over and over, and it's also positioning wide receivers mm-hmm. and just – the two things working together, yep. you, you just have to tip your hat at a certain point and go, look, we, you know, we knew the secondary was a problem. Uh, on most quarterbacks, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. No. But on, on with a quarterback that played that well, that was that really had something to prove that, that you know, they were not happy they were underdogs. He wasn't happy he didn't win the Heisman. And I think they wanted to come out and prove to everybody that uh, maybe you misjudged us. Amen, yeah. brother. I'll take that guy any day of the week. That guy can make big-time throws. And hey, what do you think, Rod and Patrick, about uh, the thought? Because I, I, Bobby Burton and I talked about this last night on the in-game watch. And um, after Washington beat Oregon the first time, right, during the, in October in that shootout out in, in, uh, in Seattle, uh, it was one of the national writers, and I think it might have been Stuart Mandel. He wrote a story talking about how it was one of the best games he ever witnessed live and covered live, and he compared – the Washington offense to the LSU offense of 2019 and compared Michael Penix to, to Joe Burrow. Uh, do you see some of that? I know he's left-handed, and so people always make the two a comparison. But when we, if you go back to Joe Burrow, and I, look, I don't think – I think these wide receivers at, at Washington are good with Adunze and McMillan and Polk, but I don't think they're, you know, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. But, you know, same kind of thing, that they just – you have an elite thrower of the football who buys time and makes those kind of throws with these receivers. I, I see a little of that in, in Michael Penix, that he's just – He's, he just is so surgical in his ability to, to, to carve you up. Uh, and, and then the ability to be, be savvy in the pocket and smooth in the pocket to avoid the pressure. Do you see a little bit of that, Rod, a little Joe Burrow to him, even though he's left-handed? Uh, there is some of that, right? You also, you know, you talk about dealing with some adversity early on in your career. Joe Burrow had to do it, deal with that, hit the transfer portal like yeah. <laughs> Michael Penix has done too. Uh, and, and although, you know, it's a circuitous uh, route uh, to take to being a first-round quarterback, there's no doubt stuff like that builds character, going through adversity like mm-hmm. that. It builds you know, That's what built the, the football character Texas has right now. Going through that five and seven season, that's a lot of football character you build trying to overcome uh, those obstacles. And I think for Penix, you have that too. He's got that dog in him. If there is any player that I think is the epitome of, oh, he got that dog in him. Yeah. He got that dog. And I mean, you take the fact <laughs> that you take a track guy and then tell him you can't run anymore because you're going to keep getting hurt and yeah. make him just use his arm and rely on that. And then now I think it's you can see the point where now he, he could even add in a little bit of that run and has the speed where he can get a first down real quick if you don't guard him. Oh, yeah. And just 10-yard yeah. slide, and that's all I need is a first down, we'll throw the ball again. Well, that's the thing about it. They broke tendency that way, too, yeah. because Michael Penix has not run. 
run that much with Washington. And and, and uh, Patrick's right. Early on, he was a track star coming out of high school. So he ran, then he had two ACL surgeries. And I think even himself and the coaches are, they're probably telling him, hey, you need you don't need to run. You need to be careful when you do it. So probably discouraging that in this game, guys. I When I went track, the second most rush yards uh, in, since in his Washington tenure. Uh, with 31 rushing yards, first game with multiple double-digit runs in the same game, and it was the most yards uh, per rush for him uh, in 2023, second most yards per rush in his Washington tenure. I think they were going to run him even more if the game was closer throughout the second half because they had a double-digit 13-point lead for a lot of the second half, and Texas only got the ball five damn times, five plays in the third quarter. I think they figured, you know what, now nah, that's probably stupid to just run our quarterback and we don't need to, so we're yeah. not going to do it. But they did run him a little bit, and I think that was part of the game plan I think they got it from Oklahoma, though, most most notably. Yeah, and I think if Dylan yeah. Johnson wasn't able to get three yards or four yards, and if they were holding Dylan Johnson to a yard a carry or something like that, you might see it more then, too. That's a good yeah. point. Agreed, agreed. And, um, you know, here's a text that says, watching Penix, now I understand how teams felt when VY was shredding them. And that's kind of what it felt like. And I talked to a lot of folks who were at the game, and, you know, the crowd would get up on a big third down, and you, you're trying to get a stop, and you need to get him off the field. And, Every single time it felt like Michael Penix would make a play and make a throw or take off and run, and it's just it demoralizes you. And it just that, that's what led to, on top of all the mistakes and self-inflicted plays the Longhorns had, it just led to kind of felt like you were, you were playing upstream the whole game and you still had a chance to win the football game on the final play if you gave up on it too early. Longhorns mm-hmm. did have a chance four times from the 12-yard line, three times from the 11, to punch one in and, and win this ball game. But uh, Michael Penix too much, and that defense for Washington stepped up and made a big play. That kind of reminded me of the uh, Chris Peterson quote you've been quoting, Rod, this month, that um, you know th- this is a stats for losers defense. They're, they're mm-hmm. good in critical moments. They're good in big moments, and you know they were last night against Texas, and they needed one more play, and it didn't come. Kind of like the Oklahoma game. Needed one more play, and it didn't happen, and the Sooners uh, won that game. That's where how close the Longhorns were this year. Uh, but Washington, the one that has kept their perfect season alive, they'll play Michigan, who also has a perfect season at 14-0. Can we get Rod's second rant of the day? Uh, breaking this game down from all angles with you on a, on a Tuesday after uh, the college football uh, playoff semifinal. Rod's rant of the day is brought to you by Apple Leasing, the easiest and safest way to get a new car. Any make, any model. Click AppleLeasing.com and experience how easy it is. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, you've got it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butt. I just went back and looked at some of the uh, plays Texas gave up defensively, the deep ball. Uh, They gave up four deep balls. 20 yards or more down the field, bombs. They did allow a P.I. to me. That was that P.I. that on a blown coverage, uh, I believe at the time, by Terrence Brooks. Uh, but two of those deep balls that were thrown were on were when Texas was in bump and run coverage. I remember I told you one of the checks was automatically going to be if Oklahoma State was going to check to the deep ball or to double moves or their, their adjustment to Texas playing aggressive press man was going to be to take you up top, uh, then there's no doubt the best deep ball throwing team in the country was going to do that. I thought Texas would be ready for it, especially if they were going to play bump and run coverage and press on the outside. They did, which they had to do, um, but they did not hold up. So half of the deep balls Texas allowed uh, in, uh, in coverage uh, came when Washington recognized they were playing press man. 
and their guy is better than your guy. And they believe that even going into this game, they definitely believed it in the way they played the game. So a couple of areas, I think, where I Longhorn fans were frustrated watching this game from the past defense perspective. I brought up all week long that you had to watch for certain concepts that have been troublesome for Texas uh, all season long, certain things that they have just they haven't defended well. Um, and I brought these concepts up multiple times throughout the week and even brought them up yesterday during our pregame that you're going to see Washington use empty formation. You're going to see them use uh, targets to bunch formation, just the things they really, really like to do, part of their DNA, part of their um, kind of their football philosophy period, and very similar, almost a doppelganger feel to Sark's offense. Uh, they're top five in the country in pre-snap motions and shifts. Sark loves pre-snap motions and shifts. Uh, Sark loved the deep ball before he found out Texas was bad at it. Uh, then he curtailed it. But if, trust me, if Texas was good at the deep ball, Texas would look very much like Washington. They used to be chunking the deep ball all over the damn place. They just don't have the quarterback to do it. Quinn has to go to Norm, but he's not accurate. That's not a strength of his. And I think Sark recognized it was hurting your offense more than it was hurting the opposing defense, your deep balls. So he curtailed it a little bit. And even in this game, we didn't see a lot of deep balls, right? We just see one or two deep balls from Texas. Uh, not mean it at all. Um, so that's just something Sark doesn't do. But all the other conceptual signatures uh, that Sark likes to deploy, you can find a ton of them in the Washington offense. So, you know, targets to bunch formation, that's something that Sark likes to do a lot of. Uh, targets to motion. Um, targeting a player who was in motion at the time of the snap or before the snap, uh, there was a lot of that in that Washington game plan, and they were really successful at targeting players who were already in motion because they used so much of it. Um, targets to bunch formation, which I pointed out was going to be something I'm, I was watching because last season when Texas played uh, Washington in the Alamo Bowl, they were uh, subpar, all right, underwhelming when they were defending targets to bunch formation, they allowed a really low completion percentage, less than 55% completion percentage. But when you looked at money downs, uh, they allowed Washington to, uh, to convert 85% of their money downs when they were targeting bunch formations. That was not the case in this game because Washington really wasn't great at converting on third and fourth down. Texas really wasn't either. Uh, that's not where Washington excelled. They excelled in a lot of areas, uh, but it wasn't um, third and fourth down. So the money downs, uh, I think that's actually something that PK did a great job in game planning for and defending. I mean, they were only three of 11 on third downs. They were one of two on fourth downs. So you're talking about, you know, four of 13 overall on money downs. That's a pretty good number. What, hurt them uh, when targets to bunch formation as as uh, targets to bunch formation are concerned were the deep vertical shots they gave up when targeting bunch formation so last season if you go look at when texas played uh washington alamo bowl yards per attempt they were around five yards per attempt all the conversions were short high percentage passes zero to nine yards it was all quick game this season uh, targets to bunch formation, you're talking about you're up close to nine yards per attempt now, uh, over an 80% completion percentage when you were targeting bunch. And this is probably the most uh, concerning uh, element of Texas defense uh, against this concept, the explosive play rate. You got 37% explosive play rate. 37% of your targets to bunch formation resulted in explosive play. That's a pass play of at least 15 yards. Inside breaking routes, 
Texas has struggled with them all season long. Uh, they struggled with inside breaking routes versus Washington last season in the Alamo Bowl. 69 completion percentage allowed, um, over 50% conversion rate on those uh, targets to inside breaking routes on money downs. In this game, Texas did not fare much better. Uh, um, 87% completion percentage. 18 yards per attempt allowed on inside breaking routes. Five explosive plays. So you're talking about over a 60% explosive play rate anytime Texas targeted an inside breaking. Oh, sorry, anytime Washington targeted an inside breaking route. And sometimes they did that empty formation. Um, you know, sometimes it was just deep shots downfield on the post routes. But that. Like I said, they 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 fixed the the, the money down situation because they take, they weren't great obviously targeting these concepts on money downs, but they gave up so many chunky yardage plays co- uh, defending these concepts that I don't it, it basically made the money down defense moot. It didn't even matter. Uh, empty yeah. formation was something else that Texas struggled to defend last season at times. Remember, U of H lit Texas up out of empty formation. Uh, they were 85% completion percentage, um, nine over nine yards per attempt at empty, uh, in empty formation. They used a lot of it. Uh, they were over 10 yards per attempt when they were targeting uh, empty formation. Any player in empty formation, um, you ended up with an explosive play rate of 25%, not super high, uh, but still 25% is a pretty high clip, uh, but being an explosive play rate 25% of the time you run that concept or target a player running that concept. So the, the issues that I was concerned about, it, I, my miscalculation was they would abuse Texas with those concepts again on money downs. It just wasn't money downs. It was chunk yardage explosive plays that they couldn't defend with those concepts this time around. Good stuff, Rod. Uh, yeah, uh, frustrating continues to be the word in my head because uh, everything you just said, you know, the chunk plays, Michael Penix played an, an A-level game. Braylon Trice played an A-plus level game. I mean, they were really, really good. Longhorns had ten tur- two turnovers, ten penalties, and yet they were one play shy of winning. Coming back, we'll hear from uh, A.D. Mitchell and Jordan Whittington on uh, those final attempts of the Longhorns to salvage this game, to win this game, uh, to steal it at the end. And it didn't happen. We'll also hear and, and, and talk more about the game. It's myself. It's uh, Rod Babers and Patrick Davis back in the Horn headquarters. Appreciate Patrick getting up this morning and being a part of our special coverage live from New Orleans. By the way, little update. I just heard uh, the Longhorn team leave the hotel. I'm in the, uh, the Sheraton Hotel. Mm. And right across the street here on Canal is the, uh, the Marriott, which is where the players have been staying. And uh, they had their police escort and loaded up the buses. And I'm assuming at uh, about just after 9 o'clock, they're headed to the airport to fly back to Austin. So... Uh, just an eyewitness account here. I want to thank our friends at Hay City Store uh, in Driftwood, Texas, between Kyle and Wimberley, right there in Driftwood. You're going to love that spot. They are helping us, and Travis and Tamara Tyndall also have opened uh, Taste on Main, which is a different concept for them. Hay City Store, if you've been out there, you know it is you know, scratch American and Texas comfort food, uh, best food. I mean, there's not a bad thing on the menu when you get out there. Rod always talks about he and his wife order lunch or something, and then they order dinner oh, just so they have it, it when they get home because <laughs> it's so good, and you can't go wrong with that. Uh, any of the menu items from the appetizers to the entrees, uh, 52 beers on tap. They've got the margarita flights. They've got everything you want, and it's such a great spot these, this time of year when family's in town and you're enjoying 
maybe some downtime out at Hayes City Store. And then Taste on Main, a little bit of a different concept, obviously. It's a, it's a steakhouse, an upper end with seafood and the raw bar, uh, but it's in a very casual atmosphere. They've built it into a 100-year-old historic building in charming downtown Buda, Texas. Uh, they also have the outdoor treehouse bar on beautiful days where you can sit out there and enjoy a wonderful meal, a little higher end, great for events. But uh, uh, my two favorite spots, Hayes City Store and Taste on Main. Uh, we will... Uh, thank you and thank them for all the help that they brought us uh, here and got to see Travis and Tamara. Uh, they're like uh, like all Longhorn fans, disappointed on this Tuesday morning when the Longhorn season comes to an end. Uh, Rod, I think it's also safe to say that the Horns are tired of seeing 60-year left-handed quarterbacks because that's the two teams, two people that have beaten Texas this year. Oh, good Mike, one. <laughs> are we tired of seeing this, these 60-year yeah. these left-handed QBs? Can we, can we uh, move off of those guys? But, you know, those are the two best quarterbacks the Longhorns have played, yep. and the Longhorns lost both games essentially on the game. We'll come back. We'll pick this up, go all the way to 11 o'clock. It's Hook'em Up with Ian Rodby. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Come up with E and Rod B playoff recap show on the horn is presented by Hayes City Store and the Taste on Main. Season ends. My lady and, at the uh, casino. Heartbreaking. Yeah, the casino. How about that right there? I like that there. Patrick Davis playing the tunes in the casino a couple blocks away from where I'm at here on Canal Street in downtown New Orleans. As soon as this, uh, actually, I'm going to have to drop off at the 10 o'clock hour here, guys, and uh, you guys can run it to 11. i got to get checked out. 11 o'clock is the curfew here to get out of the Sheraton. I also know it's going to take a while to get the vehicle out of the uh, the valet because they got a, they got a madhouse down there trying to get get everybody out of here on a, on a Tuesday morning. The aftermath, Texas and Washington. Huskies win it 37-31. Longhorns, uh, their own worst enemy in a lot of ways, still had a chance late in this game. And if you're waking up saying, man, I went to bed when it was a 13-point game or even a 9-point game once the Longhorns did not get the onside kick. I know a lot of you might have gone to bed and you're asking, well, how did it come down to a final series from the 11-yard line? Uh, Rod, I mean, the, the Washington Huskies last night didn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, they had the, the muffed punt in the first half that the Longhorns turned into a touchdown. Um, and but boy, did did, did Kalen DeBoard? He would have been under a lot of scrutiny this morning had the Longhorns found a way to win this game, because his clock management in the final after they they recovered the onside kick was was beyond questionable. Uh, the Longhorns should have gotten the ball back with no timeouts and about a 90-yard field to go with 10 or 15 seconds on the clock. Instead, they had 50 seconds on the clock. Plus, Washington gave them a running into the kicker penalty that gave them 15 more yards. So they were at the 30-yard line. Uh, and they moved it down the field. I mean, it was, uh, you know, Bobby Burton and I were doing the in-game watch-along on On Texas Football on the YouTube channel there, and we couldn't believe it. We were already talking about next season. We were talking about, uh, you know, growth areas for improvement and, and what this game is going to signify and those kind of things. Next thing you know, Jordan Whittington catches a 41-yard play, play out of the empty formation, out of the slot. Uh, Jaden Blue makes a big play down inside the 15, and you're like, oh, my gosh, Longhorns are going to find a way to steal this game. 
uh, amazing. And I, I would imagine, now that I'm, I'm really thinking about it, Rod, I would imagine a lot of fans went to bed. I mean, it was late. I mean, it was, it was the day late. after New Year. You're right. Yeah, it was late. Yeah, I wonder. I think a lot of people are waking up, going, "Wait a second, what are you talking about?" E? They were down nine points, and they they didn't get the onside kick. They're, you know, they're, they're not. Yeah. So it went to the uh, to the eleven yard, twelve yard line on first down and, and ten from the twelve. Uh, on first down, there was a little swing pass out to Jaden Blue. Uh, was I? You know, I thought a good play because J- J- Jatavion Sanders, his primary target, was covered. Uh, didn't want to take a sack, and then the clock was their their enemy at that point. And the swing pass, you know, got them out of bounds, and they only gained a yard. But now you still had 10 seconds left to take shots to the end zone. Uh, they did that on second, third, and then fourth down. And on the fourth down play, Rod, it looked like they got what they wanted, which was A.D. Mitchell in man coverage near the right front pylon of the end zone. And Quinn Ewers got some early pressure. Uh, Washington brought extra people, got up in his face a little bit, and the ball sailed. And instead of being a pass to the maybe lower, you know, kind of a bullet pass that, that, that was aimed at the right, uh, the, the front pylon that A.D. Mitchell could have handled, instead it was kind of floated and uh, was too high for him. Can I play this for you, though, right after the game? Here is uh, our friend Corey Mose, who's with KVU 24. Uh, this is some sound he put out uh, with the, the question to A.D. Mitchell is, did you think when the ball left Quinn Ewer's hand you were going to catch it? And uh, you also hear Jordan Winnington in this cut rod talking about that final play where the Longhorns had a chance to uh, tie the game with six points and win it with a point after touchdown. Was there a split second when the ball was in the air that you thought you were going to catch it? Oh, like every time, <laughs> uh, for sure. But, uh, nah, yeah, I just, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't do enough. It's AD. When that ball, when it's one on one, it's more like 80-20 with AD. You know, so I mean, the DB made a good play, and um, I'm not looking at him like it was bad for him. You know, but um, yeah, it's just it was a good play by the DB, and it's just un- it was an unfortunate, you know, situation. Yeah. All right, Rod. Frustrating. I keep um, saying it, but that that's how close it was. Even though you got outplayed in a lot of phases, uh, Kalen DeBoer and, and the clock manager for Washington kind of left their chin open. Longhorns had a chance and uh, and couldn't finish the deal. Uh, yeah, and I think one thing, you know, and I, I believe we brought it up, obviously we brought up everything and mentioned everything in the month-long uh, preview that we did for this matchup. Sure. Um, but I remember you even talking about this, and and I talked about it too, and I, I brought up the Chris Peterson quote, the, that, that Washington defense, it's a – if you're look, looking at it, it's a stats for losers kind of defense because the stats will tell you it's a bad defense. But if you actually did watch them play, they made some clutch moments and they made some clutch plays, I should say, in critical moments. And they had seen the best passing offenses arguably in the country with the best quarterbacks in the country, some of the best wide receivers in the country. And I'll tell you that that their secondary, I thought, played a lot better than we anticipated. Now, I do think Xavier Worthy is dealing with an injury. Um, that I don't know that for a fact. Didn't hear that from sources or anybody. It's just me looking at the the the, the game and hearing different stuff, hearing rumors mostly more than anything. But I think he's I think he was injured. I think he, he was dealing with an injury, so he couldn't have he couldn't cut laterally. It's probably his biggest issue because I heard based on reports he was running sprints before the game, fifty yard sprint straight ahead. So the guy could run, but whether he could cut, decelerate, get in and out of breaks, different discussion altogether. Uh, Ad Mitchell didn't get involved in the game until what. Uh, Late in the second half of the game, basically, right. is when he got his first target. And uh, Jay Witt, I think they tried to get Jay Witt involved a little bit earlier, but I mean, Jay Witt's just not a focal point of the passing game, never has been. And they waited too late to get JT Sanders involved. I think their pass defense was underrated. 
I think it, it, it the stats were deceiving because they had played and overblown, inflated because they had played so many really good passing offenses. And Texas pass defense numbers were actually close to being more legit because they hadn't played any great quarterbacks. Texas pass yeah. defense was bad, and they only played one good quarterback the whole damn year. And that was Dylan Gabriel. He was the only one they played. The rest of them, they got lit up by whoever the hell TCU's quarterback was. They got lit up by Donovan Smith from U of H. They got lit up by, hell, when K-State tried to abandon the run, Texas got lit up by Will Howard throwing yeah. the football. He's not even a great pass with the football. So I think in retrospect, looking at it, probably should have given a little bit more respect to uh, USC, sorry, USC, but Washington's pass defense probably should, should have given a little bit more, I don't know, we tried to have more anxiety and less confidence about Texas pass defense because when Texas played a real quarterback with a real sophisticated passing game, they looked that bad against Oklahoma at times, and they looked the same way against Washington. Yeah, and I mean, and we talked a lot going up to it. They go, they, they weren't great in the screen game, and they missed the tackles. They, they really set out to try and slow that screen game down, they too. They did. And they sent a lot of guys over on those screen games because there was a few of them you'd watch and – there would be an there would be an extra guy, and he would just basically come barreling downhill, and you know you have to make that tackle, and they did, because you know there a couple broke for Texas, but other than that, you saw some get hit behind the line, and and it's just devastating when you think, okay, well minimum this plays five yards, and you end up losing two on it on a screen that you think should be able to move you down the field. Those kind of plays just hurt, and then again you get those starting longs, and those starting longs kill you. Yep. Yeah. Well said, guys. And uh, I would also say this to, uh, to everything y'all just said. I mean, the uh, they got healthy. I mean, uh, we we talked to a lot of Washington insiders, and they talked about how they had two safeties that were banged up late in the year, and they got those guys healthy, and and they did cover well. They covered the Longhorns, and they they executed their game plan. Uh, I wanted to play this for you too, Rod. I know you mentioned that you know you're frustrated, like all Longhorn fans, and. Um, you know, the, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas are always going to be the conversation. But uh, you also have joy in your heart for the, for the clutch way the Longhorns mm-hmm. played, and they played it to the final play. Listen to Jordan Whittington. Uh, you know, he made the big 41-yard catch and, and just a, uh, you know, won a 50-50 ball and set the Longhorns up with a chance to win this game despite all the, the issues of last night. Here's Jordan Whittington, also from Corey Mose of KVU 24. Uh, gave his heart and soul to this program. His career now comes to an end uh, out of uh, – uh, you know, out of Cuero, Texas, and here's uh, some interesting sound from Jordan Whittington after a heartbreaking loss for Texas. I can say, I can like honestly say on camera that I gave this university everything I had every day for 365 days. I can say that and honestly mean it. And I think a lot of our guys did. And like I said, I'm proud of them. Like we, like I said, we came in, we went through a five and seven season, went through all these seasons, and now look at this. I heard uh, actually what Joe said. Like he said, I, I feel like I could truly say on camera that I gave the university everything I had. Um, the pledge of injury, um, just everything. I feel like I just gave the university everything I had, and I feel like this team gave the university everything they had this year. Right, there you go, guys. Uh, good team. stuff, Patrick. Thank you very much for that. How about that, Rod? You talk about what Texas can do for you, what you can do for Texas. That's pretty good stuff right there with guys who, you know, help help elevate this program back to a place where it's playing at a national scale and a national level here at the Final Four. You come up a player too short. You don't play your best game in a big moment. And uh, But, man, uh, the future's still bright for the program thanks to those guys who did give 360, you know, give everything they had 365 days a year. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's – I always say there are two types of Texas football players, right? The guys that come to play at Texas and the guys that come to play for Texas. Uh, and there's a big difference. And you can, you can obviously become one of the guys who come to play for Texas. But the guys that come to play 
at Texas, they want to know what the university can do for them. What NIL opportunities can I have? You know, uh, how can y'all hook me up with this? Hey, can I get some tickets to this? They want to know what the university can do for them. The guys who come to play for Texas, and hopefully this is where guys are toward the end of their tenure at Texas, when you're a veteran, when you're a senior, when you're when you're a junior. Um, you know, you want to play for Texas. What can I do for the university? How can I help this team? How can I help this program? What can I do? All right, to leave this place better than I found it. And that should be the goal for all these players. And this group definitely is leaving the program way better than they found it. Yeah. yeah. And that is something you talked about, Rod, when you, wanted, you, you got here and wanted to do that. I think we're seeing very similar. Sark did talk in the lead-up to this game that, you know, whereas last year they had three or four, maybe five leaders that were true leaders that, that everybody looked to for, for the leadership, the Rojos, the Bijans, the names we know. Uh, he said, now we've developed, you know, 20, 30, 40 real natural leaders in our program, and that's what builds it for Patrick. Um, you know, you got to have – because Jordan Winton is going to move on, right? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of these core guys that have been the, the driving forces who learned from Bijan and Roshan and understood the, what this culture means. We heard Sark say it's, it's a 12-month process, right? It starts with winter workouts, and it builds to, to what we just, you know, came up short in. Uh, but that has to be carried on. That culture has to be carried into January this year with all the new players that are coming in, another recruiting class, portal players. That bar has to be kept, and it's got to get better, right? It's got to keep growing, uh, and this team will have a chance to be playing and back in these spots in a 12-team situation starting next year. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at you know the, the leadership and, and passing it on to more and more people, it gives more and more people a, a reason to fight for this team and a reason to stay. And in the transfer portal era and NIL – you know, to give people more and more of a role and give them, you know, more accountability and everything else is what that, you know, building the culture, which Sark has done. You you do see the guys want to build it and be a part of it and be a part of something bigger than themselves and and get that to the next step. And I think as disappointing as it is, how it kind of unfolds at the end, it also is, if you're looking at the storybook of how Texas football is going, that that's a great chapter before you get to the next one. Uh, it's a it's a great way to set up what's coming for Texas. I mean, if you look at Michigan, Michigan last year to what what they're doing this year, and you say, okay, well, this is the next step, and you know you have a lot of young guys, like you know a lot of freshmen played big minutes this year. You're going to see some freshmen, especially in that secondary, play minutes next year. And as long as the team can continue to grow uh, on the sideline and in the in the weight room and in the practice facility. And all of that, then when they get back on the field next year, this Texas team could take that next step to where we'll be expecting them to be winning all the games. And we, we won't be having conversation at the end of the year, can this team get double-digit wins? That will be now the standard again at Texas. And this is the, the right path to get there. And that's what you feel good about at the end of a season, even though it's disappointing. You feel good that the standard is now back at Texas. Yeah, uh, we saw Rod and his crew and his uh, era build that into something that became very, very special beyond it uh, in 2004 into 2005 and on. Uh, we'll see with Sark if, uh, if this, this group has passed it up. But good stuff there from Jordan Whittington and on his way out. Uh, we have a lot to talk about moving forward, obviously, who's staying, who's going, what Quinn Ewers, what J.T. Sanders, what A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, all these guys, what their plans will be. They do know that they'll have uh, 21 new prospects coming in through the portal. So a lot to talk about moving forward for the Longhorns. And uh, as I said, maybe next year they won't see uh, you know any left-handed 60-year quarterbacks on their <laughs> schedule. I mean, that, those, are, those are the kryptonite right now. Uh, we'll come back. When we do, we continue these conversations 
it's the day after. The Longhorn season came to a disappointing end, 37-31 to Washington in the Sugar Bowl. We continue to talk about it on 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and on hornfm.com. The Hook'em Up with E and Rod P Playoff Recap Show on the Horn is presented by Hayes City Store and the Taste on Main. All right, we roll on. As we mentioned, 10 o'clock hour, we'll hear more from Sark in the uh, postgame aftermath of a 37-31 loss for the Longhorns. Um, but then we Washington Huskies now 14-0. They will face the Michigan Wolverines, and uh, that will be your national championship game next this coming Monday night down in Houston. A couple of 14-0 teams who will, by the way, be sharing the same conference as of next year. Uh, they'll be Big Ten teams uh, with Washington in their final year in the Pac-12. And uh, bittersweet for the Pac-12, Rod and Patrick, that uh, – you know, it's the first time they've had a college football national champion contender since the CFP began, the 14 playoff, and it's their last year. I mean, they had their best year as a conference. They had all the uh, the great quarterbacks, and we've been really the story of college football this year, starting with Deion Sanders and then the Washington-Oregon battles and uh, Caleb Williams and USC. And this is it. I mean, the Pac-2 <laughs> moving forward, but they have a chance to earn a win a championship on their way out. Obviously, we'll preview the matchup with Michigan and um, Jim Harbaugh having his team back in this spot. Of course, they were in the national semifinals each of the last two years and came up short. This time, they find a way to win it in overtime, 27-20. to 20. And, Rod, you and I were both on uh, on this, that this – both of these games could go to the final play, and I think uh, uh, it's hard to believe that both of them did. Went to the final play of both games before the outcome was decided. Pretty yeah, impressive. A lot of people believe this might have been, you know, you talked about this earlier, right, the best college football playoff matchup we've had so far. Uh, and, yeah, it is uh, bittersweet for the Pac-12. This is the best best year for the Pac-12 probably in the modern era of college football. I mean, they had – multiple uh, quarterbacks who were in the Heisman uh, conversation. They're going to have a lot of these quarterbacks going to be drafted in the first round. Um, they got an undefeated team, Washington, coming out of the Pac-12. And, yeah, last time they were in the Pac- – last time my Pac-12 team was in the college football playoff championship was that Oregon team, I believe, right? Got Mark yes. Helfrich was that team that coached that team, and they got – the blowers, I think, blowing off of them um, in the uh, championship game by Ohio State, Urban Myers group, I believe. So, yeah, this I, I think this Washington team believes they're a team of destiny. My favorite little factoid is that, you know, Washington doesn't have a five-star player on their roster. If they win the national title, they would break a trend in modern recruiting um, that is unprecedented. They would be the first team in the last 20 years to win a national title without a five-star player on their roster. Nobody, yeah, you they, mentioned they, that they don't do that. Game. That's, yeah. that's stunning, right? I mean, meanwhile, what, I mean, what you mentioned, Alabama has like 54, four or five-star players. Texas is in the, in the 30s or 40s. Uh, they recruit yeah. at the elite levels. Michigan does too with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, this is. Let me ask you this, Rod. You've evaluated a lot of quarterbacks, and this is going to be. A, you know, we're going to pivot now with the when the college football season's over to the NFL playoffs, and then yep. the NFL offseason, which will include the draft. And the quarterback draft is as deep as we've seen it. Where where do you slot Michael Penix in this conversation, based on what you saw last night and what mm. you've seen this year? Uh, a winner. Got the dog in him. I mean, mm-hmm. Caleb Williams is going to be the assumed. Drake May is in this conversation. I think Michael Penix, and he's got a chance to continue the show coming up Monday night against Michigan. He has a chance to play himself into the you know top ten of this draft, in my opinion, as far as the quarterback goes. Yeah, I would have him uh, right now as my third best quarterback behind Drake May and behind Caleb Williams. 
And I guarantee there's an NFL scout or some team that, that probably has him higher than one of those two quarterbacks. They love him so much. Um, in terms of the intangibles, he's got the arm strength. And this is something that we talked about with, with my man Bobby Burton. More and more NFL teams are now leaning toward the old Bill Parcells model where they want these really experienced quarterbacks who started, you know, 26, you know, 27 games, you know, two seasons worth of starts under their belt. They want these types of quarterbacks. And now you're talking about a sixth-year quarterback, all right, comfortable in a, in a system and showing elite sack avoidance and decision-making. Uh, yeah, I mean, Michael Penix checking a lot of boxes, and his draft stock is actually, I'm with you, it's, it's increasing exponentially in these playoff games. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I think with what C.J. Stroud did this year, and had you know some of the similar. Well, he's a system guy, or he has really good wide receivers, and he may not be the guy. And we see what he's doing in the NFL. I think maybe that'll open up some more eyes to people saying, "Well, he's going to be playing with NFL wide receivers anyway. Yep. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we give this guy a chance?" Yeah, and I, I I like the word intangibles. And Rod, you said it. There's probably a team that's got him ranked higher than maybe those guys, and they're not liking what they saw. Last night. They're like, "Dang it, exactly." We don't want this. Yeah, <laughs> we want this guy under the radar. What are we doing? I, well, well, I, think, it was, it was like, I think we know ahead, that man. you're going to see a lot of in the next few months coverage about how many injuries he had, as we'll see all of these teams mm-hmm. try to try to drop that draft stock. Yeah. Try to drop the draft stock so they He's can get a have shot a at him. Low cognition <laughs> score, guys, on that test, like we'll CJ. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, remember C.J. Stroud played his best game as a collegiate in the national semifinal right. last year yep. uh, when he almost beat Georgia uh, and made some of the same kind of throws uh, we saw Michael Penix make last night. But, man, experience, big arm, elite thrower of the ball. And you said sack avoidance. I know Longhorn fans are mad this morning about no pressure. I, I saw Texas get some pressure at times, and just like we talked about for a month, uh, the number that jumps off the screen you know, when you look at the numbers is over – he's now over 1,600 attempts in his career, Rod, whether it's in Indiana or Washington. 1,600 dropbacks, and he's been sacked 31 times. 31 <laughs> times. Crazy. It's ridiculous. It's it ridiculous. Is. And that's not – he's got a good offensive line, but that guy you saw last night, Ethan Burke had him dead to rights, couldn't get him. Byron Murphy had him dead to rights and missed him. There were several times he's just really subtle – in the way he moves in the pocket to, to feel the pressure, but he's always got his eyes downfield looking to make a play. It's, it's really, really, uh, what do you call that, your, your superpower, Rod? I mean, yeah. every, every great player has to have a superpower. He yeah. has that X-man ability to avoid the pressure. Uh, it really is. Joe Burrow had it back when he was at LSU. Uh, Tom Brady was maybe the best that's ever played, and not being the most athletic guy, but the ability to move, to keep the feet alive, to keep the play alive, and make a throw. And, you know, all that said, the Longhorns you know, were, were a play away from winning this game last night against that player. So, Michael Penix, I agree with you. I think you, and it'll be interesting to see him when he goes to the combine and he goes to, to throw in, you know, in individual workouts because he is going to get red flagged for injury history. Yep. There's no doubt about that. But, man, he checks a lot of boxes in the other places, and it'll be fun to see where that goes. But it'll be interesting to see what the Longhorns guys do. You know, does anybody surprise us? We assume J.T. Sanders and X-Man and A.D. Mitchell – uh, all these guys, Alfred Collins, are off to the NFL. Uh, several are headed to play in the Senior Bowl later this month. Uh, same time, you know, we'll see if any make surprises and want to come back and be part of the Longhorns into 20 and 24. Uh, all right, guys, I'm going to uh, you know cut bait here and head out. I got to go get checked out. The checkout time is 11 o'clock, and I'm assuming it's a madhouse trying to get out of here this morning. So if you can uh, beg my pardon, I'm going to let you guys handle the fu- the, uh, the, the the final fabulous fifth hour and thanks for all you guys thanks to hay city store and taste on maine for helping us get here it's been a fun time in new orleans wish it was uh, on to houston but instead it's on to 2024 and a new year for the horns thanks guys appreciate it all right thank you e and uh be safe brother and be safe on that road too 
Yeah, uh, like, looks like there's some rain showers coming into the Austin area today on a cold day. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be careful. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning as a uh, normal Wednesday. Rod and Patrick will take you through the final hour on 101.9 on AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and always at hornfm.com.